Well, we are back in our study of Acts. We left off finishing Acts chapter 20 back in June. At the end of chapter 20, Paul told the elders at Ephesus that he was on his way to Jerusalem. And here's what he said. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So basically, uh, this is, a, this is a, a fun promise from God, right? Okay, here you go, Paul. You're going to go to Jerusalem and imprisonment and afflictions await you. So basically what happened, it was a tear-filled goodbye with the elders in Ephesus because Paul told them he probably would not see them again. So we're going to pick up in chapter 21 in which we see Paul persevere. So that's pretty much what we're going to learn about today, perseverance. By definition, persevere means this, continue in a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. Okay, so basically perseverance is I'm going to keep on going even though it's difficult, even though the end game is not really uh, guaranteed or you know what, maybe the end game I might not get the result that I desire. That doesn't sound that fun, does it? It doesn't sound that fun. And most of us, you know, when we have to persevere, we're like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we have to start to question, though, why did Paul feel like he had to persevere and go to Jerusalem? Well, I think the simple answer is that he believed he was following the will of God. He truly believed that he was following the will of God. In fact, this chapter sets the stage, actually, for all the opportunities Paul will have to preach the gospel for the rest of the book of Acts. Paul will go and tell people, Jesus is the Savior. We are all sinners and need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. So now we're on the other side of this. We all kind of know, if you read in Acts, but we know that Paul did have a lot of opportunities. God mightily used Paul to bring the gospel. But what about us? What about us? When things get difficult, when we're facing something insurmountable or challenges that we believe that God wants us to follow, how do we persevere? How do we persevere? Well, today, from what happens to Paul in Acts 21, what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to persevere and follow God's will. How to persevere and follow God's will. Now, I have to preface this by saying this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Meaning this, meaning we can learn lessons from what happens to Paul as he perseveres to follow God's will. It does not mean that things like this have to happen to us to follow God's will. You get it? It doesn't mean that things like this have to happen to us to follow God's will, but things like this may happen to us. So we're not going to read all the verses in the chapter. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a summary of what happens, and we're going to stop in certain areas because the narrative value of the last um, you know, eight chapters of this book, you know, we see many things happening, so we're going to you know, stop at certain areas. So the first way we see Paul persevere is he follows open doors. So this, you might think, is a cruise ship itinerary, but it's not. <laughs> 
this is actually Paul following open doors. Now, in the first 17 verses of chapter 21, Paul traveled by boat over 600 miles. He said, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and he didn't have his own boat. He didn't have a horse and buggy. He knew he was heading to Jerusalem, and guess what? God kept on opening doors for boats for him to travel on and port cities and areas where he ended up. So God opened doors so he can get to where he wanted him, Paul to be. So a question I have for you is, what doors has God opened for you in your life? What doors has God opened for you in your life? Maybe it's a job or a career. Maybe it's a service opportunity. Maybe it's going away to college. Maybe it's opening opportunities to share the Lord with people in your life, coworkers, friends, family. See, following those open doors are part of persevering because we see God lining things up for us, right? We see God lining things up for us, and sometimes it's just an act of walking through those doors. It's just an act of taking that first step. So while he was on the journey, he stopped in a few places. He stopped in a few places, and he received the next thing that's going to help him persevere, and that was this. He got encouragement from other believers. Encouragement from fellow believers. Now, one of the biggest things about being part of a local church is meeting other believers, okay? Meeting other believers. Sure, you can meet other believers in school and at work and different places, but some of you might actually find it hard, like, oh, I go to school and there doesn't seem like there's any believers there, or I'm the only believer in my workplace. So you might find it difficult to meet other believers out in the world proper, right? But coming to church... Here's what happens. You start to meet other believers. You start to meet other believers. And that's why, you know, like with this inception after the pandemic and like online church, right? And, you know, for shut-ins, it's great, right? For somebody who can't make it out, it's great to watch online. But, you know, when I meet people and like I meet a lot of people and, you know, they, when they find out I'm a pastor, you know, then they'll, you know, maybe the church conversation will come up and, you know, you'll meet people and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I go to church online. I'm like, oh, really? You go to church online, huh? How's that working out for you? Um, here's the thing. You're not going to meet anybody, okay? You're not going to meet anybody. Sure, you'll get the content. You'll get the, you know, the teaching and stuff, but you're not going to meet anybody. And if you think you are, you're actually fooling yourself. That would be like, like thinking the people that you watch in your favorite sitcoms are your friends, okay? <laughs> They're not. So here's the thing. When things are tough and it gets hard to follow the Lord, we have other believers who can encourage us. They can speak truth, truth into our lives. I mean, granted, when you come here to church, right, you sing songs, you hear teaching, but the real things happen when you start to build relationships because you get to share your heart with other people. You get to talk with other people. You get to be encouraged by other people. You get to find out what they've been through and how they're dealing with it. So many times when I'm talking with people and they share something with me, I say, you know what? There's this person you have to meet. I want to introduce you to this person because they've been through something similar to what you're going through. And I think through what you're going through and what they went through, you might actually be able to encourage one another. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to speak truth to other people. Sometimes those truths are hard to say to people. Maybe you have a friend that's a Christian and they're going the wrong way and there's some certain things you need to say to them 
and you're like, I don't know about that. I don't feel like talking. God keeps on opening the doors for you to do it, and you decide not to walk through, or you're afraid because those truths are hard. And sometimes it's even hard for you to hear the truths that you need to hear from other people. But the benefit of being involved in a local church and being amongst other believers is there's people who are there to encourage you and to inspire you and to actually tell you the truth so that you can actually grow and learn from each experience. So here's what happened with Paul when he encountered some of these other believers. Here's what happened. He landed in Tyre for the ship there was to unload its cargo. And having sought out disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. So now, this is a bit odd, right? Because aren't we landing here and meeting other believers for encouragement? The encouragement, it's a bit odd because the encouragement is that they were believers in the area, but they were discouraging Paul not to go to Jerusalem, which we found out in chapter 20, that's what the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to do. So obviously, they were concerned for his safety. But the problem with this passage, it says, through the Spirit, right? Through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go. So based upon what we learned, like I said, in chapter 20, it seems that the Holy Spirit was laying it on Paul's heart to go. So what do we do with this apparent contradiction? Because in one place here, it says through the Spirit, he was supposed to go. And then in this place, it says through the Spirit, they're saying, don't go. Okay, you're going to be in trouble. And I think the way that we can take this, this is a warning that Paul would be in danger in Jerusalem and not that he should not go to Jerusalem. Because think about this. When we read Acts, right, we have the whole story. But these believers that Paul came upon, we don't have any other information that these believers that Paul said, well, here's the thing, guys. I'm going to Jerusalem, but the Spirit said it's going to be tough. I'm going to face prison and affliction. So basically, this, in some senses, is more validation of what is to come of Paul. But Paul is still supposed to persevere. So next we see these believers then rally around Paul because he's going to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. What a beautiful picture, right? These believers are going out. Paul's going off on a ship, heading to Jerusalem, knowing that he's facing affliction. He's got to persevere. And now you have these believers gathered together, husbands and wives and children, all gathering around and sending them off and praying for them. You know, persevering is easier when we know we have the prayers of fellow believers. You get that? Persevering is easier when we know we have each other, when we know we have the backing. Last week, some of you were here. Josh Whitman came, and you saw his nice little family was here. He had five kids, a wife and five kids, and they're missionaries in Italy. Well, you know when these missionaries contact us, like, we don't compel them to come. We support the missionaries, right? And we give them monthly. We support them monthly. But we never say, and part of your monthly, part of our, you know, uh, us supporting you monthly, you got to visit us every four or five years, you know, and, and, and take over a service. We don't do that. In fact, I've told missionaries, like, if it's tough, you don't have to stop here. It's cool. We're praying for you. 
we got your back, okay? We're going to give. We're not going to say no funding anymore because you didn't stop by. But the flip side of it is, is when they do, guess what happens? We encourage them. We pray for them. We give to them. You guys generously gave to them last week, $1,641. And you know what? I love when that happens. And it happens almost every missionary. And, you know, we count up the money. And I, especially when I go up to give them money, I always tell them how much it is because we put it in an envelope. But I want to see their face. And they're always like, oh, wow, I can't believe it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of churches, they'll give them a couple hundred bucks when they come. They say, oh, we already support you. We'll give you a couple hundred bucks as a speaker's fee. But that's not what we want to do. We want to encourage them. We want them to leave being encouraged by their fellow believers. Knowing we have people in our corner, and in some cases, cases, people to pick us up when we're knocked down. Like Ecclesiastes tells us, like, woe is the person who has no one to pick them up when they fall down. Well, when you are a part of a local church, guess what? You make those relationships. So now they make it to Caesarea, and there are more believers there that they are encouraged by. So let's see. It says this. Jumping to verse 8 and 9. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. For he had four unmarried daughters who prophesies. So now you probably remember Philip from Acts chapter 8. Remember, he was the one who witnessed to the Ethiopian official, and the Ethiopian official said, hey, there's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And if any of you are wondering if you should get baptized, we're having a baptism on uh, September 17th in the Bay. So here's the thing, though. Philip was one of the seven, the deacons, remember? And he witnessed to the Ethiopian. Now we're fast-forwarding years, and um, Paul comes upon him, and we find out that Philip is a godly man, apparently took a wife, and now he has four daughters. These daughters are said to be prophesying, which could simply mean that they were praising the Lord in song or teaching others about Jesus. But the point here is this. The work of the Lord continues to be done through Philip, and he raised a godly family. Now, that's so important. Now, to me as a pastor, you know what one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor is here at this church is when I look out and I see couples in their like 30s and they have kids and they're bringing them to Sunday school. I mean, I'm encouraged by everybody. But when I see these couples in their 30s bringing their kids to, to Sunday school and I'm like, that kid used to come to youth group. That kid grew up in youth group. And you know how encouraging that is? To know that when we set a foundation here at the church, it continues on. Nothing more inspiring, nothing more encouraging than seeing people walking with the Lord. Okay? Seeing people continuing on with the Lord. Seeing Philip was encouraging to Paul as he pressed on to Jerusalem. But here's what happens. He gets a little more validation of what's going to happen to him. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urge him not to go to Jerusalem. Again, 
Not the most encouraging message. Hey, Paul, give me your belt. Let me tie my hands up. This is what you're going to look like, okay? Basically, that's what happens here. So basically what happens is we get more validation of what Paul was going to go through if he got to Jerusalem or when he got to Jerusalem. He knew he would face difficult days. And this prophet was saying, you're going to face difficult days. And notice this. When we heard this, do you know who the we is? Luke. Okay, Luke's writing this. He's part of this. At this point, when we heard this, and we and the people there urge him not to go. So now Luke's like, yo, Paul, okay? I don't know if you should do this. This does not sound good. Seeing that guy with those belt, the belt around his hands and his ankles, that does not look like a good thing. But guess what? Paul persevered. Well, what do you do when you find out something's going to be difficult? Have you ever gotten difficult news? You need a health procedure? Uh-oh, right? I don't want to do that. You know, that's why I try to stay away from the doctor. Because every time you go to the doctor, they tell you you need to do something difficult, right? So, you know, what do we do when we're facing something difficult? Do we do it? You probably know this, that through difficulty, sometimes there are blessings. Okay. Many times there are blessings. In fact, think about your life. Okay. There's many hard things that you do. There's many difficult things that you do. You can name a few. Parenting, difficult, right? Blessing, right? Work, difficult, you get the paycheck, blessing. Relationships, difficult, eh, you know? then you have people in your life, okay? Nobody wants to be alone. Actually, the Bible says it's not good for a person to be alone. Think about it this way. There is going to be difficulty in your life. There's going to be difficulty. But God can use those difficulties. And, you know, when we see, like, you know, maybe, maybe you'll hear somebody's testimony, and they go through something terrible, and then on the other side, they're like, but the blessings were this, this, and this. I learned this, this, and this. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I want something like that to happen to me. And then it happens to you, and you're like, I don't want this to happen to me, right? You're like, how do I keep my focus? Well, Paul knew what God's will was for him, to make it to Jerusalem, to continue to preach the gospel. So then we go on and see how Paul answers them. Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So here now Paul is saying, listen, guys, how you're acting right now, not encouraging. Okay, I'm not encouraged by this. You're breaking my heart. I need to do this. So notice we ceased and said, Luke and the rest of them said, okay, the Lord's will needs to be done. See, this is perseverance and the believers back off and agree. The Lord's will must be done. Now that Paul's following the open doors, he's receiving encouragement from fellow believers. He will also receive encouragement by how the Lord has used him in the past. Now, this is an important lesson for us, okay? How the Lord has used us in the past. You know, the things that happened to you in the past serve you for the future. Do you realize that? When, when you get through a difficult situation and then you face another one, it's almost like God prepared you through the first one to get through the second one. So what Paul is saying is like, listen, 
I'm going to Jerusalem, okay, to share the message, to share the message, to bring the gospel message. But I'm going to be encouraged by what God has done in the past. Like God worked with me in the past. Now we all have ways in which the Lord has used us in the past. So when we're in those difficult situations, a good reminder to persevere is to look back how God has used you so you can look forward into the future. You know, maybe in those past circumstances, you doubted that you can do something or help someone, and God put you in a situation where you could help them, you could encourage them, you could teach them. Maybe he brought to memory things that you learned a long time ago that you didn't think you learned, and they had a question, you're like, whoa, I knew that. I can't believe it. So the thing is, God used you in the past, so it shows that it's possible for him to use you in the future. So here's what Paul does. He tells them, he arrives at Jerusalem and visits James, and he tells them how God has been using him. He says this, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified God. So basically, here's what happens. Remember, Paul came from the church in Jerusalem and went on his missionary journeys. That's all our study up until chapter 20, right? So now Paul, because they couldn't just contact people by phone or any other way, he says, listen, I just want to tell you how the Lord has been using me to the Gentiles. So I'm back here in Jerusalem, but I'm encouraged by the fact that the Lord has been using me to bring Gentiles to the Lord. But they inform Paul that many of the Jewish believers, so there's, there's Jewish believers in Christ, many of the Jewish believers are still zealous for the law. Now, what does that mean? It means that they're believers in Jesus, but they have a strong religious Jewish upbringing, and they still felt kind of compelled to obey some of the Mosaic laws. So they had been told by non-believing religious Jews that Paul is preaching that they should not follow the Mosaic law, that like he's bringing some kind of new thing, right? So basically he's saying they're, they're trying to malign Paul's mission. So basically now these Jewish converts to Christianity are hearing rumors about what Paul is or is not teaching. So we have this interesting account here because James and the elders who are leaders in the church of Jerusalem, which are made up of Jewish converts to Christianity, suggest that Paul and his companions should follow the Nazarite vow, which is under the Mosaic law, which is a time of purification to prove that they are not trying to turn people's backs on the Mosaic law. So it's kind of a weird like, turn of events here. Paul is a believer in Christ. And now he's being encouraged to observe the Nazarite vow. Now, this is something that Paul doesn't have to do. And if you remember back in the Jerusalem Council, when we studied in Acts um, months ago, when, this, when an issue like this came up with the Gentiles observing the Mosaic law and different things like that, the Jerusalem Council came to this agreement and said, no, they don't have to, but they should really respect the fact that other people are observing that. Okay, so now Paul and his companions, 
desiring to spread the gospel, because this is the main goal of Paul and his companions, desiring to spread the gospel and maintain a godly reputation to win people to Jesus, here's what they knew next. They persevere by being sensitive to what others believe. Because here's what Paul does. This is pretty groundbreaking, but here's what Paul does. It says, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and offering and presented an offering for each of them. So basically, Paul was observing the Nazarite vow. Now, he didn't need to do this, nor was he compromising the gospel. He chose to do this because he was being sensitive to what they believed. He didn't want to put a wall up between him and them. He wanted them to listen to him. These new believers in Jesus felt convicted and forsaking the traditions they were brought up in. They felt convicted about it. They didn't want to forsake the traditions they were, were brought up in. So now some could argue at this point, which, you know, I mean, I thought about this as I was reading it, as I was saying, was Paul confusing them? Was he compromising the gospel? Was he doing something unnecessary? But basically what he was doing here is he was being sensitive because he knew that the more important thing was for them to trust in Jesus. See, as believers today, we can persevere by being sensitive to what other people believe. Yeah, this is important. For some reason, many Christians feel that in order for someone to actually be saved, they have to agree with everything that the church teaches. Let me just clear that up for you. You need to believe in Jesus, who he is and what he has done. That he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, that he rose from the grave. That's the gospel message. The simple truth of the gospel is Jesus died for you. Okay, there's many different doctrines out there. And what happens is many Christians start to fight over things. Like, remember when I taught through Daniel and I taught you the end times timeline? Okay, that's what I believe the scriptures teach about the end times. Well, guess what? There's other Christians that believe in a different timeline. Do you need to be a Christian? Do you need, do you need to believe in one, you know, doctrine of that? Or another doctrine of that, to be a Christian? No, you need to believe, believe in Jesus to be a Christian. You get it? So we can't, we can't start to argue over those things. But now let's take another jump. Now we go out into the culture and the community, and there's people that were maybe raised in different religions. They culturally have different ideas, and they believe something that maybe the Bible says is wrong, or we definitely don't agree with because what the Bible says about it. So sometimes as Christians, what happens is we focus in on those things rather than focusing in on their need for Jesus. So we need to be sensitive because here's what happens. When you're not sensitive, you repel people. And they won't listen to you. And from my perspective, and I think this is a biblical perspective, it is that people need to trust Jesus. And now let the Holy Spirit work with them about all the other things, right? People need to trust Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work about all those other things. Because you know what? Being insensitive to them will actually repel them. Now this reminds me of the first missionary to inland China. His name was Hudson Taylor. Some of you who know about some church history might have heard of Hudson Taylor. He was born in England, and in the mid to late 1800s, he, he felt a desire and call 
to go to inland China. It was like rural China. And he went there 11 times to spread the gospel. But what he noticed early in his ministry is being an Englishman in China, dressing like an Englishman in China, people didn't really seem to take to him that well at first. So here's what he did. He adopted their culture. He learned their language. He cut their hair like their hair. He wore the robes like they wore so that he could actually be effective with them. He was sensitive to their culture. And this is what Hudson Taylor said. He said, let us in all things not sinful become like the Chinese. So now we are here on the other side of history, and we find out through the ministry of Hudson Taylor, the ministries that he started, which subsequently started other ministries, hundreds of thousands of Chinese people in inland China have actually trusted in Jesus. And I can't validate this, but I've heard one stat that said every single ministry, Christian ministry in China to date has some connection to the ministry of Hudson Taylor. That's unbelievable. But here's an Englishman who was sensitive to their culture, to their belief systems, knowing that the goal is what? To bring them Christ. I'm sure people said, oh, I believe in Christ, but, you know, I also do this, and, you know, we have this ritual and this tradition. He didn't attack those things. He believed in Christ, and then let the Holy Spirit do the work. See, when we fall into the trap of mocking, disrespecting what other people believe, and it's easy to do, right? As believers, we look at other people's belief systems and we're like, that's dumb. You know what I mean? But don't say it out loud, okay? Like I just did. <laughs> what you need to do is you need to be sensitive to them. Not mock them. Not be insensitive. You, you need to be sensitive because the main goal is for them to know the God who loves them. He's the one who loves us. He loves them as well. Now, our final point for Paul is the way that he perseveres. And I couldn't think of a better way to phrase this one, and that is this. Rolling with the punches, okay? Paul rolled with the punches. Unfortunately, many of the unbelieving religious Jewish people were still not satisfied with the way that Paul actually acted and what he was preaching. So they dragged him out of the temple and beat him, okay? This caused a riot. The tribune, which is a Roman official, came, arrested Paul, mostly to protect him because his life was in danger. He asked what the charge against Paul was, but there was so much confusion, nobody could even point, like, he's doing this, he's doing that. It was just bedlam and chaos. So in order to protect Paul and calm the riot, he took him away. And here's what it says. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of people followed, crying out, away with him. They crowd surfed Paul up, okay, to keep him safe because there was a riot. You know, sometimes in life, the things that we are called to do for the Lord will beat us up a little bit, right? Maybe not physically, spiritually, emotionally. We might get a little beat up. You know, school starts this week, you know, and some of you here are teachers, right? And God called you into the teaching profession, and maybe you feel a little beat up as a teacher. Beat up by the kids, then you go tell the parents, and they beat you up too, okay? And, you know, 
we, we kind of, we feel like a little, you know, rejected. But you know what? Paul, he rolled with it. He's like, God desires me to bring the gospel to Jerusalem. And notice, you notice in the prophecy there, he was going to be in Jerusalem and then delivered to the Gentiles, Roman official, okay? We're having prophecy unfold, like, Paul, yeah, I'm going there, and I'm going to wind up being in captivity to the Gentiles. Things got hectic for him, but he still persevered. Now, next week, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 37 of chapter 21 and head into chapter 22, and we're going to hear that God gives Paul an amazing opportunity to actually address the crowd that is delivering him up to be arrested. So now today for us, we're going to close the service. Before we sing our last song, we're going to observe communion. Now communion is so important to the believer because it's a way for us to remember what Jesus did. It's a way for us to remember what Jesus did. And in context of what we learned today, think about this. When Jesus sat with his disciples at that last supper and observed the first communion, Jesus' mindset was perseverance, wasn't it? Jesus knew what was going to happen. He was going to die a brutal death, but he persevered because of you and because of me, because he desired to save us. And sometimes God calls us into things that are not very pleasant, but it's going to be helpful and a blessing for us and maybe for the people around us. So communion is a time for us to remember that the God of this universe was willing to lay down his life for us, for our sins. It's also a time for us to evaluate. Evaluate our own life. Maybe you've been struggling with some kind of sin that you're looking for victory in. You need to throw that at the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to help you. Maybe it is an issue of perseverance. Maybe God has been opening doors for you and you are just afraid to walk through those doors because as you look, you're like, yeah, looks kind of tough. Looks kind of difficult. I don't want anything to do with that. And maybe God has blessed you with encouraging Christians around you being like, yeah, this is probably what you should be doing, right? But you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Maybe that's something that you have to lay at the foot of the cross. Whatever it is you're struggling with right now, it doesn't have to be in relation to what we talked about this morning. But whatever you're going through, that you are seeking help from the Lord, evaluate that. Give that to the Lord. Take this few moments, and we're just going to give a few moments of silence, and then we'll partake together. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body, given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Please bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. 
we're thankful we have the example of the Apostle Paul persevering, knowing things were going to get difficult for him, but he continued on. We're thankful, Lord, that you opened doors for him to go through, that you gave him believers to be encouraged by. We're thankful, Lord, that he was sensitive to the belief systems of the other people around so that he could be more effective with your gospel message. And, Lord, we pray, like Paul, that we would be able to roll with the difficulties, the punches that come our way, the things that stand in the way of us serving you. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to persevere for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.